Hey, Ashley. Yes. Did you know it's Oregon Wine Month? I did, because you told me <laughs> just now. <laughs> just now. Hopefully uh, it was last week or two weeks ago. We've done some research. But let's talk a little bit about it. Let's talk about the history of wine in Oregon, how and why it became known as a Pinot powerhouse, and maybe some other fun facts we learned along the way. Here's to you, Oregon. Happy Wine Month. I'm Haley. This is Ashley. We are Whole Cluster Conversation. As the resident Oregon, resident of Oregon, I, resident I figured Oregonian. I kind of, <laughs> Oregonian, um, I feel like I'm coming up on where I've started to live in Oregon longer than, I don't know. I like to just say I'm a Pacific Northwesterner because, yeah. you know, I got strong Washington ties, Idaho ties, and Oregon ties. So yep. um, I will say that, unfortunately, I'm starting to become more of a West Sider than an East Sider <laughs> for all of you that know what that means. Um, but as a resident Oregonian, I figured I'd kind of start this off with, um, we did do a little bit of research and to talk about it, but I thought I'd just started off with just talking about what the Oregon Wine Month was, um, how it got started, and all of that. So do you want me to go or do you want to share some of your stuff? Okay. Go for it. So um, Oregon Wine Month started in 2012. um, And according to the Oregon Wine Bureau, which is kind of the the OWB. Oregon Wine um, Board. Board. Oh my gosh. Okay. Good job. I, I knew sure I was going to mess it up. <laughs> it's all good. You got the OWB part. <laughs> OWB. Like, yeah, everybody just says OWB. Um, so there's a couple of objectives to the program. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of read them. Summary, quick summary of the three main objectives that uh, of the Oregon Wine Month. And that is to encourage a period of increased support of distributors, restaurant, and retailers in the Pacific Northwest. I think that'll kind of be a theme because those are so interconnected here. Um, a create a platform for tactical winery promotions to stimulate to stimulate those sales again, and to develop a deeper affinity for Oregon wines by foraging emotional connections with consumers. So, I really like that because again, it's really about promoting. Um, the sales of it, but also I really like it because it gets at what I love about the Oregon wine industry, which is that um, like community and the connection. And so really bridging the gap between those two. One of the other things I will just quickly point out is that the Oregon Wine Board, <laughs> right? Yeah, got it. Um, the O. o- OWB has a really cool toolkit available to help people with their marketing, social media, kind of a guideline for everyone. And they have some really awesome resources to kind of just like videos to watch, um, templates and everything so that, you know, if you are in Oregon, um, winery, you can use that to kind of help promote your business during this time. Or just someone that, uh, sells Oregon wine. Yeah. Even they don't really have a toolkit for consumers, but they definitely have some great tools for consumers to understand maybe why they love what they love from Oregon Mm -hmm. or um, how to find other things. I was really impressed with the um, 
the itineraries that they have for yeah. the different regions um, and wine styles, depending on what you're looking for if you're visiting the area. Um, it's and impressive. I thought it was interesting for like the toolkit. They didn't just say like, okay, here is April or May. Sorry, like it's you know the wine month, but they were like, they started back in like February to say like, okay, here's stuff that you can do to start promoting up to the event. And like, um, so they just like get people going so that then May was really the time that was like, bam, okay, here you go. And then they even had some stuff of how to like kind of phase out of the month too. Right. So um, they really thought this through, um, and it's really awesome. Good job. Thanks for that <laughs> awesome resource because, you know, not all wineries have their own marketing departments. Right. So that's really cool. Yeah. What other things did you find, Haley, about kind of Oregon Wine Month, what it was, um, and all of that? I looked a lot at the history of actually Oregon wine and understanding okay. what that is. And then... Um, <clears throat> Understanding also, well, the Oregon Wine Board, like you were saying, does a great job of promoting all of Oregon wine. Mm -hmm. But I was really interested in kind of the turning point. Um, I think that, I don't remember when the Oregon Wine Board was developed, but really what we think of as the modern Oregon wine industry didn't get started until like the 80s and 90s. (laughs) And so it's really interesting to think about in the last 30 years, because mm-hmm. that's all the time that it's taken to get to be what it is today, the huge industry that it is. It's the yeah. fourth largest wine industry by state in the U.S. Um, yeah, behind California, Washington, and New York, which I thought was interesting. I didn't realize New York was that big. Um, and I, I didn't see if that was by volume produced or if that was by number of wineries, number of acres planted. I didn't uh, uh, see, but that was just the listing. It was fourth largest. Um, and I also looked a lot at just uh, how it became such a big industry because I know yeah, Oregon really started to embrace the wine industry mm-hmm. and why that was, when that was, how fast it then became, you know, what it is today. Yeah. A couple of fun um, points, if I can read my tiny little scribble of a thing on here. (laughs) But I was noticing that the uh, economic impact of the wine industry in Oregon is so great. Like we have, you know, billions of dollars um, that it brings into the the state, um, which I will say, for those of you that don't realize, Oregon is a strong but mighty state of about, what is it, 4 million people, right? No, that's wrong. I think Not that's 4 million. Right. I don't know. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Um, and so we have a pretty... I mean, we're not like a huge state of people. Um, The, you know, most populous area is the Willamette Valley. And so to bring in that much money is really awesome. Yeah. So for instance, um, there is 
$894 million contributed of wine-related tourism. Um, and that was as of 2019. A couple of these stats are a little bit older just because it takes a while, I think, to get some of these stats. But that I th- was... I think also they you, only do Im- the economic impact studies every like three or four years to see what okay. the growth is. Yeah. There's over 40,000 jobs that are related to the wine industry in our state. Um and as you noted, you know, this is a fairly recent or newer industry and a newer um, thing within the last 30 years. And well, I mean, it's really since the 70s, but, you know, well, there that's was when, a little bit of lull. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah, I say 80s because it was the 70s that put Oregon on the map. There were a couple yeah. people that were moving to Oregon that had connections with Oregon that said, oh, wow, I think that this is a great place for vineyards. Let's check it out. Let's try it. And that was in the late 60s, early 70s. And then yeah. um, they, in 79, 1979, mm-hmm. the, there, was, there were three or four Oregon Pinots. Maybe it was the top yeah. five spots at... Um, I read a couple different things. One place said it was the Wine Olympics. And of course, because yeah. that's an easy catchphrase to, <laughs> that's the one I remember. Yeah. But I also read that it was a different um, uh, like uh, <laughs> name for the competition that the wines were submitted to. Yeah. So in that competition, the top five spots went to Oregon Pinots. Yeah. And the Burgundian yeah. Pinots were not in those top five spots. And so that was when the wine world at large said, whoa, what is going on in Oregon? Especially the Willamette Valley. The um, I don't know when the AVA was established. I should have looked that up. I think it was quite early. I want to say it was the 70s or 80s when the, um, and I don't know which. 1983. Was that the Willamette Valley AVA or? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, the Willamette Valley ABA, and it was the first, Oregon's first um, AVA, which is kind of interesting because when we go into the history more, yeah. it wasn't necessarily where... The first plantings took place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, yeah, I thought that, that that was then... So in 1979, you really have that clear, there's great wine being made in Oregon and none of us really were paying attention. And so then you have this big influx of of people interested in planting and making wine in the 80s and the 90s was really when all of a sudden we had a viable industry that was bigger than just, uh, you know, 40, 50 people making wine. It was like there were multiple AVAs being established, sub-AVAs being established, different Mm -hmm. wine styles being made, um, experimentation being done, and even um, in the... I think it was in the early aughts, there there was finally at Oregon State University mm-hmm. money being put into research, which is really important, yeah. I think, in establishing a well-known wine region is to figure out how to do research, whether that's through uh, like a university or mm-hmm. even private funding to figure out what grows here, what can we do that's different, how can we maximize fruit yields? How can we maximize water use? How can we maximize um, pest control? All the things that research um, is really good at and um, translating that into economics of an industry. So sorry, I kind of derailed what you were talking about in the so let's. <laughs> I was just given some fun stats, and I was going to say, um, in terms of 
kind of going along with all that, just we've seen amazing growth in terms of the industry, in terms of job creation, you know, in the, you know, mid 30s in terms of uh, percent of job growth in the last like six years. Um, And again, like, uh, 13, almost 14% increase in tourism in the wine industry in the last, like, again, six years. So um, quite a bit of growth in this region. Like you said, kind of just the slow and steady start to it. Um, kind of like growing of grapes. You know, you got to <laughs> get them established. And then all of a sudden, uh, we really started um, going I was trying to think, um, okay, here you go. So Wine Enthusiast Magazine awarded, I was trying to remember what year it was, um, Oregon Willamette Valley as the 2016 Wine Region of the Year. So I that also really, really kind of put Oregon on the map um, in the last couple of years as well. Yeah. So, and that's in the world. Like I remember that being when it came out in 2016, it was such a big deal because all of a sudden like Europe is looking to this tiny state in the (laughs) Pacific Northwest. It's like, what are you guys doing over there? (laughs) Um, So one other thing I just wanted to pivot to that of just like the kudos to my love of the Oregon wine industry before we kind of get into the history is I love how this region, and I think Idaho is kind of similar, but it's, again, just like I said, it's this whole industry from like the whole food production here and how we, it's just an amazing community and people really support each other. if you start to get to know different winemakers in the region, it's it's competitive, but they're also like they all want everyone to do well because it's such a new industry that we want to say, hey, we're producing awesome wines. And so we want to pull everyone up together right. in that. And it's such a cool culture of um, the wine industry in this state. Yes, so. I think that the probably the Oregon Wine Board or someone in Mm -hmm. the early stages realized if we can turn this into a tourism aspect, that means there's much less competition between wineries Mm -hmm. and much more camaraderie. So having an early component of of tourism and bringing people in from outside areas to taste wine and have an experience in wine country was Mm -hmm. huge. Maybe that has to do with the timing of the success of the region or the, the... boom, the initial boom of the region, because seeing Napa Valley and what was successful for them maybe was helpful in saying, well, maybe we need to get a tourism component in here. I don't know exactly why they went tourism so early, but also I think it's this great, or the Oregon wine industry has this great um, co-history with the food scene in Portland. Yeah, Portland being... Uh, such a foodie city and really drawing in an interesting um, traveling component. Whether like yeah. I, I feel like Portland is really great in the 90s and aughts for bringing in like um, uh, business travel. And then once mm-hmm. people got there for business, they're like, oh, this is kind of a cool city. Maybe we should come back and check it out just to yeah. check it out. <laughs> Maybe that's a misinterpretation just from personal experience and being in the area and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah, 
I think that it's a really great example of there's all these components that are just right and they happened kind of at the same time that really pushed the entire industry into this amazing micro yeah. uh uh, micro economic <laughs> powerhouse. Yeah. Um, I would love to go through some of those like big points in history that you noted. Um, but since we're on this topic, it's totally right there in the middle, but I'm just going to go there um, right now of kind of my, my feelings on some of the reasons why the farm to table movement yeah. is so strong here in Portland uh, or sorry, in Oregon. Yes. Please is, do. especially the Willamette Valley. Um, and that is because Oregon has a really interesting public policy um, that a couple other states have also established, but we have what are called urban growth um, boundaries and they're a debated topic. But um, in 1973, there was the establishment of the Oregon Department of Land Conservation Development um, and that was actually led, I, I learned, by a couple of big players in the wine region, um, including David Lett, who mm-hmm. was one of the first people to plant, I believe, Pinot Noir in Oregon right. in 1965. So what this did um, on a whole is create this kind of... Again, it's it can be debated, but it created a culture about preserving farmland in our state and especially farmland close to the city. Yeah. So we if you come and visit Oregon, we have some urban sprawl, but there is a definite line where all of a sudden you're like, and I'm in farmland. Yes. Um, and they protect because the idea is to infill and protect the farmland adjacent to the cities. And what that's created in Oregon is this culture of, again, that farm to food or farm to table and having like, because you have the city and that strong food culture of Portland, I'll just go with Portland. (laughs) I know there's a lot of other cities there, but you have that strong food community right next to like within a 30 minute drive, Mm -hmm. sometimes a 15, 20 minute drive of farms. And so you're able to just bring in fresh food, um, bring in fresh wine um, right into the city really easily. And so it really has to do with, again, that whole thing that was developed in the 70s alongside that same time that the Oregon wine industry was just booming So um, or starting out. So yeah. I think that's what, in my humble opinion, that's one really fun um, outcome of that public policy yeah. in Oregon. So I think you're right. I think that definitely set the, t- the um, landscape for having more farms, more vineyards. So something else that we're seeing like in the growth that's happening in the Boise area is you have to be able to, just growing a crop doesn't mean Mm -hmm. you can keep your property in agriculture. Being able to get a value added to your crop by making grapes into wine, making your, you pick berries, if you have extra um, raspberries, like making that into jam and selling the jam, having... Mm uh, hops are a little bit different because they're grown on such a scale, but being able to make your hops into beer uh, or at yeah. least process them uh, really yeah. is where you 
have that value added to your actual crop so that you can continue keeping your land in agriculture. Yeah, yeah. And it's and it can be really difficult for um, farmers, you know, if you don't have those um, public policy things in place to help support your ag, like right. um, you said. So um, that that is, you know, my two cents on that whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> the thing that I found really interesting that I did not know, and we were just discussing yeah. this before we, we started recording, was uh, the James Beard connection between yeah. um, Oregon and uh, Portland. And uh, so James Beard was a Portland-based... I know who James Beard is. Ashley knows who, Like, we know the James Beard Award and um, culinary arts, but I had no idea he was from Portland. So at the time that he was becoming a world-known chef, mm-hmm. he was also promoting kind of this farm-to-table movement especially where he was working in the Portland area. So yeah. having like coexist or sorry, co-evolving with something like that really helps to then make it more commonplace. And you know, a good farm to table is not without a good bottle of wine. So I like um, that. It's all important. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so um Haley, what about some other key so kind of the timeline? Let's 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 kind of go through the fun, like a rapid history. We'll put in the show notes a really awesome link that really goes through all the years. But um, I thought if you wanted to go through some of the fun highlights throughout history, um, starting, well, according to this, in 1847, (laughs) when, um, oh, Henderson Luling. (laughs) Um, Oh, that is not correct. Um, Brought the first uh, kind of vines from Iowa out on the Oregon Trail to Oregon. Um, And then, yeah, that's kind of where this timeline starts. And he went down and I think it's to note that, like we said, even though the Willamette Valley AVA, the, the oldest vineyards, some of the oldest vines are actually down in Southern Oregon. Right. So it's true. Um, I think a lot of um, there was an influx of people from the Oregon Trail in the mid um, 19th century. And then also later on, people moving from the California gold rush up mm-hmm. uh, into the Oregon territory, um, Oregon. I don't remember when Oregon became a state. It was probably a state already by then. Um, and that those were some of the first people making wine, planting grapes. Um, I would guess just because um, a lot of those people were um, subsisting on their own farming practices and a little bit of trade. Mm-hmm. It was probably a mix of grapevines that were vitis vinifera for making wine because obviously people like to make their own wine and then sell that wine. It's a good trading uh, commodity, but also probably making like raisins and other fruit, uh, sorry, um, more seedless varietals for actually eating grapes. Mm-hmm. And I also have read that some of the first wine production that was at scale was actually from a monastery that was set up in the Willamette Valley. But then the oh. Oregon Wine Board said that it was um, people down in Southern Oregon um, in Applegate Valley, I think it was, was the first mm-hmm. um, really big, and that's still, oh man, I should have written down who it was, but that vineyard is Heartwood. Still, yes, Heartwood is still in production and it's mm-hmm. owned by a different family, but 
also still making wine out of that uh, original vineyard site. Yeah. So that was kind of the very first um, influx of wine making in the area. And then, of course, you know, people were making wine. Uh, there was a winery that had a federal designation when they have started, or maybe it was a state designation as a legal winery for making wine. And then prohibition hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, crushed the whole thing. <laughs> yes. Just like everywhere. I mean, even you, you think about California and the history that California has as a winemaking region. There were people that were making wine throughout prohibition legally, but mm-hmm. really most wine production was completely shut down during Prohibition. It wasn't... um, Winemaking is not like beer where you can kind of... You can get all of the ingredients and save the ingredients and make it when it's convenient. You have to make the wine when it's time to make wine. So I think uh, that's one of the reasons why wineries were affected so much more during Prohibition. And then... I was... Can I just say, I I misspoke. I don't know why I did that, but um, it's Honeywood Winery is Oregon's oldest continuous operating winery, which is kind of fun because it was started by John Wood and Ron Honeyman. So it's of Salem, which is a fun combination of the two names. And that was in 1933. Yes. So... So, but then there was, I'll, I'll, well, like we said, we'll put that awesome link in the show notes from the Oregon Wine Board of the different places. But there is a a vineyard in Southern Oregon that has been continuously farmed. Um, Like I said, there, so then there's the 60s and 70s, this uh, Willamette Valley kind of influence began. Mm -hmm. There were people, there happened to be this connection with um, Burgundy. There were some people from Burgundy that thought, oh, this is kind of an interesting place. The land's cheap. Let's see. Maybe we can grow some grapes here and make some good wine. And then uh, you also had this diaspora from the California wine industry coming into the Portland Mm -hmm. area and saying, oh, actually, this reminds us a lot of what... um, the Napa Valley used to be like mm-hmm. uh, 40 yeah. years ago when we got started, 20 years ago when we um, decided that we were going to make wine. Yeah. Um, so that was the 60s and 70s. Then you had yeah. this big... Um, Can I just do a call out? Because I just want to make sure to give yeah. credit where due. I didn't write um, down I, names. I'm going to remember that for <laughs> next okay, time yeah. we talk to write down um, names of places and people. Yeah, so David Lett, again, I had mentioned him earlier. He established the first, um, he's the one that's noted as um, planting the first Pinot Noir grapes um, in near Corvallis in yes. 1965. So, um, and he kind of, he's of uh, Irie Vineyard. Yeah. That's how um, it's, it looks, it's, E-Y-R-I-E, but as I understand, it's Irie Vineyard, um, and that's in the Dundee Hills, which is a huge, I mean, everybody that knows anything, that's kind of like one of the heart areas of the Willamette Valley. Yeah, definitely. Um, So, sorry, continue on. No, you're good. (laughs) I think that, uh, I'm trying to think of... Prohibition, 60s and 70s, things got really rolling. We had this Mm -hmm. farm, we talked about the farm to table movement in the, um, I think that was like the early 90s that it really Mm -hmm. took hold. Um, And we just. 1980s. 
Okay. Oh, sorry, I'm interrupting. Yeah. 1980s. Um, again, David Lett, along with, oh, I don't know how to say these people's names. I'm so sorry. And I know this from like their labels. Um, Dick uh, Erath. Erath. Erath and David Adelsheim. Adelsheim. Oh, my. Or Edelsheim. I've seen it pronounced differently. I'm so bad at pronunciation. (laughs) Uh, They petitioned the State Department of Ag to establish the Wine Commission. So you were asking about that earlier. So that was that's where you know the 80s and 90s it really started going with the Wine Commission. Yes, and basically everybody just started working really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they've mm-hmm. been working really hard the entire time, but then they had this influx of people interested mm-hmm. in growing grapes, making wine. The thing that I've seen um, in the last uh, 10 years since I've been in the industry and known more about that Oregon wine industry is yeah. that a lot of people talk about that about, about the Willamette Valley and this Burgundian style of winemaking, Pinot Noir especially, cool climate yep. for making... Um, uh, these really beautiful wines, but there is more than the Willamette Valley when it comes to Oregon yeah. wines. Uh, there's Southern Oregon has mm-hmm. some amazing winemaking regions. There's the Gorge, which is actually becoming in the Northwest a really favorite place for uh, developing vineyards and and wines because people feel like it has such a different terroir compared to mm-hmm. other areas. There's the northern Oregon near Walla Walla Valley. If you're ever in Walla Walla, you can kind of go south of Walla Walla and you hit that Oregon border right as you leave town. And Milton Freewater. Yeah. And then you're <laughs> in this amazing, like you're, you're in a world renowned region that's mm-hmm. just, you know, there, there's just a line there that says the state is, the states are here. North, yeah. north is Washington, south is Oregon. And, they're still growing amazing um, grapes in that area. So. I do want to just, I feel like you breezed over the Southern Oregon wines. There are some amazing ones. Yeah. And because they're so, they they grow, you know, the different, we get the Syrahs, the Tempranillos, um, some of those like warmer-ish climate oh, yeah. things down there. Um, so the Rogue Valley AVA is a big one um, down there. So... Yeah, and like you mentioned, the Umqua Valley is another one, or the Columbia Valley, the Walla Walla Valley AVA are also all ones that got all those AVAs started in the um, in eighty three, eighty four. So, yeah, yeah, or ninety one is the Rogue Valley. So, yeah. but there, I love the terroir of Southern Oregon because, and there's a lot of um, winemakers up in the Willamette Valley that will pull the grapes from the those southern yes. um, AVAs just to diversify because like you said up here it's like Pinot Noir and, then, and I, so I think that the Oregon Wine Board put their their eggs in that Pinot Noir basket for a while trying yeah. to probably you know for good reason they were becoming world renowned their their mm-hmm. the pinots in Oregon sorry the pinots from Oregon were taking top top spots in a lot of competitions. They were becoming well-known. And that was because there's this huge metropolitan area right next to the wine region. So you have the ability to have 
those drinking pallets, those people that are buying wine right there, those people that are visiting Portland saying, you know what, we're going to spend a day and go out to wine country while we're here for this work trip. And um, the um, Rogue Valley might maybe didn't have that influx of people at the time, but they did have something that the Willamette Valley didn't have. And that was, I well, I shouldn't say this because I don't know what I'm going to. <laughs> a more consistent growing season year after year. Yeah. The Willamette yeah. Valley can have those frosts and freezes that cause problems. They can have a weird uh, summer season where you have fog every day for four weeks mm-hmm. straight and you don't get the ripeness that you want in your wines. But the, yeah. but the Rogue Valley is much more of a, quote, bread basket for, yeah. um, for annual and perennial crops that if you go down there, there's orchards. There's, I mean, not that there isn't in the Willamette Valley, but it's just a very different feel. It's a, more, um, yeah. a hot climate or a warmer climate than the Willamette Valley that has maybe more consistency. Yeah. I will also say the other one is the Applegate. Yeah. Um, is that a sub Applegate Valley AVA? What? Is that a sub-AVA of the Rogue Valley? I it think. might be. Yeah. But it. I went down there oh, two years ago and spent some time checking it out. And it was a lot of fun. And it's just, there's a lot of really cool things happening there. And um, the other thing I was going to say is... Yes, there's that big market of people, but I think pe- some people are getting bored of Pinot Noirs because it's like, yep, Pinot Noir, another Pinot Noir. How so many that's why can more, we talk about? <laughs> that's why more and more winemakers up north in the north part of the valley are like, we're going to just, we're going to do our Pinot Noirs, but we also need to add in some other things for our consumers because yeah. they don't just want Pinot Noir. And it really but, isn't that far. It's like, a yeah. how many hours does it take to drive between the two? Five. Five, yeah. So yeah. as long like you get your pick in the morning, you put your yep. like you're not you're not um going so far that you're compromising your grape quality. And, and that's five up to Portland. And some people are, you know, an hour or two south of Portland. Yeah. So yeah, it's like three hours for some people. Right. Yeah. That's totally reasonable to do. So yes. I think that the Oregon wine board and greater community now is kind of coming out of that Pinot. Um, when you think of Oregon, think of Pinot. I don't remember what exactly the marketing was, but I remember it was like, Oregon, Pinot, Pinot, Oregon. <laughs> like when you think of one, think of the other. And now I feel like I go to the website and they're very much like, don't say Pinot anywhere. We don't want people to just think about Pinot. So I don't know when that shift happened, but I'm glad that it did because there, yes, there are so many beautiful wines being made all over Oregon and yeah. beautiful like warm weather Pinots as well, not just mm-hmm. Burgundian style um, Pinots. Yeah. Um, okay, so I wanted to switch into a little bit of a different topic or or kind of the the fun another fun thing yeah. that Oregon has in the scene, and that is the urban winemaking oh, yeah. scene of of uh, which really came on to I think um I will give there's a lot of amazing urban winemakers. <laughs> so I feel bad like calling one of them out over others. But I will say that uh, this is based on this little timeline too. They 
contribute. Um, Hip Chicks Do Wine is one of the first like urban winemakers. But I know there's like, there's a, you know, the Division Wine Collective that um, has a bunch of amazing different um, makers. But I think that's the other really cool thing is that people started saying, hey, I don't have a vineyard, but I can make wine and I can make it in the city. And so that was... um, you know, just bringing that whole culture into the city, which is really kind of a cool thing that happened in the early 2000s. Um, yes, I agree. That garagiste style. Maybe we should talk about garagiste wines in an episode. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So yeah, that was like the big the big highlights that I thought of. Um, I know, and then like, again, more recently in 2016, getting the... Um, wine region um, designation was was a really good yes. good thing but um, yeah the is there any the other big highlights for you from your perspective well I really <laughs> think that a wine region knows they've made it when their state makes a license plate out of there oh, yeah <laughs> their I know product. I like how you got very excited about that it is a beautiful license plate um I do not have that particular <laughs> license plate I have many of friends that do have that license plate but yeah it's a beautiful kind of scene of a vineyard um, yeah. for the license plate so if you're ever traveling through the state or you know somebody with that license plate is traveling through your state and you're like what is going on that's uh and I think the money goes towards uh, Oregon Wine Commission, I think. So, yeah. So, um, I will round it out, I guess, unless you have any other um, points with, I will say, I wanted to note, just in case you didn't understand, Oregon is a world-class wine region, (laughs) and uh, we have over 725 wineries over a thousand vineyards and we grow over 72 grape varieties. And so that is 71 more grape varieties than Pinot Noir. (laughs) (laughs) I just had to say that last part. Uh, So anyways, with that, thank you so much to Oregon for taking the plunge and making great wine and making it such a fun, unique industry. Um, and I, for one, learned so much, was enjoyed just reading about the history. Um, there was so many uh, for me looking through and being like, oh my gosh, I know that person. Oh my word, I didn't realize they did that. And yes. so um, definitely check out, we wanted to keep it short so we didn't go into all of the cool things that happened, but check out the link in our show notes about the timeline of Oregon history and um, yeah so happy Oregon wine (laughs) yeah drink some Oregon wine and happy Oregon wine month so if you'd like um, us to research another wine region let us know by writing in um, and also let us know what your favorite Oregon wine, winery, or vineyard is um, at. You can get a hold of us at wholeclusterconversation at gmail.com or on Facebook or Instagram. Have a great week. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of Whole Cluster Conversation. Music provided by Michael Johnson of Grand Falconer. Audio production provided by our friend Ukiah Bogle. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you like to listen. Ciao.